Hello, hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of The Daily French Show. I'm your host, Nicholas Larmer, joined today by Gerban van Heerden. Harry, how are you doing? Hi, Nick. I'm Marius. I'm doing well. I'm going for the weight look today. So, yeah, you'll just have to deal with it. Yeah. No, we uh, don't worry. Uh, I'm not particularly well kept, so I don't think if you had if you had, if you hadn't mentioned anything, I don't think anyone would notice. We are joined today by Mr. Morris Ruet. Morris, how are you? How's it, guys? Uh, so before we start, we should mention that I believe today is the start of the Rugby World Cup, um, and we are the defending champions. And I must say that uh, while I'm not a huge sports guy, it's really nice that we have this field of entertainment and, and excellence and culture that uh, South Africa excels at. And I hope that we're able to bring it home again, um, the World Cup. Uh, Maurice, you uh, you excited for the for the World Cup matches? Yeah, it should be cool. Uh, I think it's quite a wide open World Cup, even though the draw was a bit rubbish. So I think we've got a good chance in a tough group. So you're looking forward to game versus Scotland on Sunday. It's been a tough game. I think we should, uh, yeah, <clears throat> Hopefully we can win it, and yeah, and hopefully we can do uh, get two in a row. Well, at the very least, get very close to the edge. Um, mm. There's nothing worse than being the defending champions and getting knocked out like the pool stage or something like that. Kerry, uh, are you going to be watching at all? Um, personally, I'm not a big rugby fan, but I do recognise the importance of rugby for South Africa. It is, like you say, one of the sports that we excel at. And I think um, it really brings the whole of South Africa together. Um, white, black, colored Indian, South Africans, you know, we all stay tuned um, to see the World Cup. Um, and I think it's one of the things that really unites us as a, as a country. Um, uh, yeah. And just as we were saying before the show, it's, you know, uh, Maurice, you were telling me about how uh, we've actually, this is an area where we've managed to develop uh, lots of pathways for poor kids, for black kids to be able to get into the sport. And as a result, we've actually seen, I think, a, a, a much wider embrace of rugby than was the case in 1994. Yeah, I mean, um, this, um, all over the country embracing it. I mean, the teams, the quite a diverse team represents all of South Africa. It also didn't happen uh, just by accident. The SA rugby put in pathways to identify people from previously disadvantaged areas and from poorer areas. There's not, not everybody in this team went to uh, Walter Clough or Afis or you know, uh, bishops, whatever the case is. A lot of people from yeah. uh, quite poor areas, but uh, SRA we put in these pathways to to find these people and help develop them. And we've seen the benefits of it now. But just uh, I just want to say, I think the only two institutions of excellence left in South Africa are the South African Reserve Bank and the Springboks. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, um. Uh, the good news is also it looks like the SABC has managed to win the rights to broadcast at least some of the games of the Rugby World Cup, which is good news because it means that many South Africans uh, from poorer backgrounds will be able to actually watch it at home, which I think is a very good thing. Okay, um, now that we've talked about the good news, let's get on to the bad news. And this our first story is about these little yellow, I don't know exactly how to say the name of the, the cars there, Baja cuties, I think they're called. They're these little sort of 
yellow boxes, which if you live in the northern suburbs of Johannesburg, you probably will have seen at some point. Um, and these were being offered by the ride-sharing company Bolt, um, which is a competitor to Uber, as a very cheap way to do short trips around the city of Johannesburg. Uh, these things are not classified as a car, but are classified as actually a compact quadricycle. Um, however, unfortunately, despite offering these cheap rides on these in these small vehicles, they are facing an increasing level of violence and intimidation. Um, there have been numerous incidents which have gone viral on social media of these little cars and uh, having their drivers chased out of them and then being tipped over or smashed or just generally vandalized. And apparently a number of drivers have already quit because they fear for their lives. They've also run into trouble with the law where... Um, the city of Johannesburg Metro cops have said that they don't have the correct operating license and therefore have impounded a bunch of them. However, the company which owns them has been fighting against this, saying that the impoundings were illegal. Um, and knowing the reputation of Metro cops, I would not be surprised if that was the case. So it looks once again as though a sort of instance of government's incompetence, maybe a little bit of corruption here or there, and fear by competitors. In this case, it seems to be the taxi industry once again. Um, as one of the vehicles that was being vandalized uh, when this incident was filmed, the people who had attacked the vehicle climbed out of a taxi association car. The taxi association says that it was definitely one of their cars, but it's got nothing. It's not an official position of them. They don't endorse any violence against these cars, um, but unfortunately, it still seems to be happening. Morris, let me start with you. Um, once again, we see kind of mafioso-type behavior uh, undermining innovation in South Africa. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. It's also, I think, shows the breakdown in the rule of law in a country where there are consequences for uh, doing this kind of thing. Uh, we wouldn't see this happening. And I mean, these people are being caught on camera. I would imagine maybe they, the license plates of the car that they got into after the incident was also captured. So probably shouldn't be hard to catch these guys, but I don't think uh, it'll happen. And obviously, I mean, understand, you know, if you're in a taxi business and these guys come in, uh, you know, they're competitors, but then you've got to deal with it in a legal way and, you know, make a plan. Also buy these small vehicles or change your route or make your fares cheaper, whatever the case is, become more competitive. You know, you don't uh, and act in this kind of way. And you know, that's also, uh, it's how life works as well. Uh, things change and some industries, unfortunately, can get undermined, but that's also, as I say, how life works. You know, if we if we're worried about the post office, uh, we could ban uh, emails, you know, and then only the, po and the only way we'd be able to communicate with that. Or, you know, if a telecom decided that it wanted to keep its fixed line monopoly and said, no, nobody's allowed to have a cell phone in South Africa. That's the kind of thing that <laughs> I think the taxi industry is kind of trying to do. But uh, yeah, I think it's just emblematic of breakdown in law and order and it says kind of mafioso uh, state that's uh, that we have in South Africa. Kerry, what do you make of this? Uh, it, it seems as though, once again, we've kind of got at least some taxi drivers. I mean, the organization at least has, has denounced the violence, the taxi associations. But it still seems, once again, as though taxis are at the center of making life difficult um, for people who are just trying to get around for a low, low price. What do you make of this? Yeah, I mean, uh, this comes a few weeks after we've had those major taxi strikes in the Western Cape, where the city of Cape Town actually tried to enforce the law and, and get 
taxis to comply with the, the road rules that we all have to com comply with as, as motorists. And it just seems that, you know, it is, as you say, the, the taxi industry plays by their own rules. They have started to act as South Africa's de facto mafia. And they're also, um, even though they're a private initiative, they, they've, you know, they've kind of, um, they go against, they completely go against um, free market um, principles, which is that, you know, if competition arises, you adapt and you innovate and you try to outmaneuver your competition um, by becoming more uh, innovative or competitive. But the tax industry, just um, from, from their point of view, if there's competition, you just simply squash it. Whether it's these new little vehicles introduced by Bolt, whether it's buses, whether, you know, that's coming into their territories, trains, um, um, the taxi industry has played a big role in in making public transport um, not not viable in, in South Africa. And I, I think another part is that um, you know the the government simply steps back and doesn't really do much in order to bring the the taxi industry in, in line. So there's not much um, rule of law being applied. Um, and how can any business really seek to invest in South Africa when you have something like uh, the, the tax industry acting as a mafia? I mean, this is a huge uh, disincentive to invest in, in new technologies, um, new, new business ventures. Um, but, but yeah, it, uh, not much is being done, unfortunately. And of course, the cost of this is that Firstly, this is a business which is looking to expand. It's currently being tested in the northern suburbs of Johannesburg, but the plan is to roll it out to more places if it's successful. Yeah. Who knows if that's going to happen now after all of this vandalism. Um, and, you know, it's a, it's a job that people can do without needing that much in the way of skills. You presumably just need, um, so they're not classified as cars, but at least some kind of motorcycle or maybe driver's or car driver's license. Uh, and it's a way of people being able to essentially be their own bosses. We've seen huge numbers of people flock to being Uber drivers, which has created, I think, a bit of saturation in the market. So it's some kind of innovation like this is important for keeping an industry uh, uh, like uh, uh, Uber or Bolt expanding. Um, and I think it's very sad that uh, we're seeing these roadblocks put in the way. Morris, any final thoughts before you, we move on? Well, I think just with the taxi industry, it's also... Uh, also an emblem emblematic of the South African government's hypocrisy. Taxi drivers don't get paid minimum wage. They don't, uh, they're not protected by labor laws or anything like that. But you won't see the government sending a labor inspector to the local taxi rank to find out, uh, you know, if they're protected by the various laws and so on. And also, I mean, that's part of the reason taxis drive like they do. Is, as I understand it, a guy basically hires a taxi for the day, and then he has a use of the taxi, and once he's paid back what the hire cost was, then the profit is his. So he... You know, as to drive, he does to make money and so on. You obviously don't, can't necessarily condone it, but you also have to understand where a guy's coming from who also just wants to put food on the table. But like I say, the South African government's not uh, going to the taxi bosses and asking why these guys aren't getting paid minimum wage or why they're protected by labor laws and contracts and so on. 
And because they're much easier targets for the South African government to go after, you know, the, the taxi industry is big and powerful and quite scary. And uh, yeah, so that's why the South African government won't go after it. But that all said, uh, taxis do play an important role in South Africa. And you, not everybody can afford a car. We know what the public transport system, uh, the government supplied public transport system is like in South Africa. So taxis play a vital role in, uh, in this country. But that obviously doesn't excuse their behavior and what they do, uh, you know, attacking these little vehicles. And also, I mean, they attack Uber vehicles and so on as well. So I think uh, it's uh, um, the yin and yang of uh, South African public transport, I think. You know, they do a good, they do a very important job, but uh, sometimes we behave atrociously when they do do that. Right. What we really need is for the police to be working so that we can get, uh, and, and not just in this field, but in so many areas, is that poor uh, enforcement of law and order. It's a contributor to poverty and unemployment. Okay, let's move on to our next story. And this is a opinion piece from columnist Justice Malala, who says that he thinks he's worked out what the ANC's election message is going to be uh, going into 2024. So he recounts a, a event he was at where Ramaphosa was speaking. And I'll just quote from Justice Malala's piece a bit here. Ramaphosa told editors, analysts, academics, and a huge chunk of his cabinet in Santon on Saturday, uh, the 2nd of September, the ANC is going to achieve an outright majority. Many people in our country still see the ANC as the only vehicle that can continue with the transformation process and make it better. It was surreal to be in the room. That morning, the death toll from the Johannesburg hijacked building fire had reached 76 and has since risen to 77 and may rise further. Some in Ramaphosa's cabinet were blaming apartheid for the fire or claiming that government had no responsibility towards the housing of illegal immigrants. Many of those who died in the inferno were from other parts of Africa. So how does Ramaphosa intend to win an outright majority? He didn't say, but I see two key messages. First, that apartheid is still responsible for what's going wrong in the country. And second, that the ANC will soon deliver a basic social grant. In Saturday's three-hour interaction, Ramaphosa spoke of Quote, the shadow of apartheid hanging over the ANC's efforts to build a better life for all. The ANC's second election message is to dangle the prospect of a basic income grant before the electorate. On Saturday, Ramaphosa touted the rollout of the social relief of distress grant as one of the great successes of his administration in the past four years. There will be many messages ahead of the polls, but these two, in my view, will be the ANC's main strategies of offence. Social grants are coming, and defence, it's apartheid's fault. Maurice, um I think he's right. Uh, what are your thoughts on Justice Malala's column here? Yeah, I think it's spot on. And we can see, I mean, just in the last two weeks or so, uh, we've seen some senior people in the ANC, including the president, come out and say all the terrible things in South Africa is because of apartheid. And Diswe and Chikunga, the transport minister, said the reason that there's so few people taking trains is because of apartheid. Lindiwe Zulu, I mean, if you ask me, this is disgusting, blamed the fire in Marshall Town, which killed over 70 people in apartheid. Uh, Blamed on apartheid. Paul Mashatile, the deputy president, uh, this morning or yesterday, said the reason for high unemployment in South Africa is because of apartheid. And, uh, you know, it's just like you also, apartheid has left deep scars in this country. And a lot of the problems in South Africa are still because of apartheid. But the further we get away from the end of apartheid in 1994, the more problems in South Africa are because of the new government. And I think, I mean, I've thought about this a bit. I mean, I, I think an analogy is if you driving your car, and you are only looking in the rearview mirror. And you don't look in front of you at all. You, you know, you have to look in the rearview mirror. You have to see where you came from. But you also have to look ahead. And actually looking ahead is more important than looking behind you all the time. And if you never look through the windshield in front of you, eventually you're going to crash or go off the road. And I think that's kind of the issue in South Africa. Nobody's saying that people must forget about apartheid or not acknowledge the damage it did to so many people in this country. 
but we need to look ahead. Apartheid, it's happened. It's over. We have to deal with the consequences. And you can't keep blaming it for every single thing that's gone wrong in South Africa. I mean, you know, is it Apartheid's fault that uh, Zerlin Kizi stole uh, all that money during, during COVID? Is it Apartheid's fault that uh, building regulations weren't uh, enforced in that, uh, that terrible fire a couple of weeks ago? You know, is it uh, Apartheid's fault that uh, babies are dying in childbirth in hospitals in uh, rural parts of South Africa? No, I think, as I say, some the apartheid left scars in this country, but we can't keep blaming it. We, we need to start looking forward. And that's the only way we're going to get to a country where we're growing at 5-6% and people are leaving poverty in a sustainable way, is if we look forward. Gerbrandt, uh, what do you make of this? I mean, it's it's kind of incredible that, you know, the ANC has gone from this sort of, and Robert was, I think, actually quite recently even was sort of, uh, ad- admitting that the ANC had made some mistakes, but he blamed things, you know, other than apartheid, he blamed uh, COVID and he blamed the world economy and all sorts of things. But it seems as though there's been some sort of meeting and the election strategy has been formulated. And uh, one of the things that Justice Malala highlights in this piece is that Ramaphosa made this claim that there are no black town planners um, because of apartheid, uh, which Justice Malala pointed out, firstly, is not true. There are black town planners. Um, but secondly, after 30 years, and if your stated goal for 30 years has been to improve the education and well-being of a, of a section of the population, and you failed to do that, well, then whose fault is it really at this point? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think um, what's tragic is that the ANC is of this mindset, or they're trying to make us believe that having a huge welfare system uh, and and growing that in when when you have an economy that is collapsing um, they're trying to espouse this message that that is a success Um, we are now paying around 19 million grants every month and the lion's share of those grants are child support grants, about 13 million. And those grants in value are about 400 rand, um, around 400 rand. What can you do with 400 rand? It, it keeps you above that extreme poverty line. But the, the government's goal isn't to keep people above the extreme poverty line, line. It's to give them the tools, equipment, skills, education, qualifications in order for them to find meaningful employment, um, to become entrepreneurial and to be able to create employment, find jobs, and and be able to make a decent living. You can't make a decent living on on social grants. I still think there should be a social safety net. There will always be people who fall through the cracks, no matter how good your economy is. Um, but I think if the ANC, if all the ANC can say say is that you know, we have this huge uh, welfare grant system and we've now had the social relief, um, uh, relief of distress grant. And uh, that that in itself is a major milestone and a, a success that the ANC should be proud of. Um, I would say success is if we see 
the beneficiaries of the grant system decline every year because that means less people need those grants and more people are 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 financially um well off um so yeah i i think what what marius's analogy with the car the, um you know having to look forward uh, if you keep looking backward you're going to crash um we we have to I, i think that's brilliant and and i think the the anc if it wants to survive in the elections it has to enact policies that will push this nation forward economically socially um because right now the anc's narrative is very destructive it's very divisive um and it's it's pulling the country apart in in many ways right the goal of the government should not be to make poverty more comfortable more survivable the goal of the government should be to end poverty and that is the only way to do that is by growing the economy creating jobs and allowing people the space to actually pull themselves out of poverty and escape the horrible trap that so many are in uh, and until you do that you're just really playing around at the edges with an unsustainable system that can't go on forever you, we've seen that with the with the finances the budget recently south africa's once again going uh, seeing our deficit increase at an alarming rate uh and you know giving people 400 rand a month may keep you from starving but it's not going to do much more for your life Morris any final thoughts before we move on I mean that's it but anyway we'll fix this country through economic growth and you know I often speak about the example of India in the show I think there's something to look at uh, there was during the 1980s and 1970s there's something called the Hindu rate of growth and people and India was only growing about 1% a year in the early 1990s they were kind of forced to implement a bunch of economic reforms and now and the country has flown since in the last 30 years you know and at the moment is having uh, annual economic growth of about 7% and that's a country of about 1.3 1.4 billion people so just imagine every year how many people are being lifted out of poverty and being given opportunities being able to live their life to their fullest not not be condemned to a life of penury and poverty and hunger you know they actually can do things that they want for their life they don't have to always worry about where the next meal is going to come from and that you know <laughs> they, they, i mean i'm not saying india is perfect not by any stretch of the imagination but you know we can definitely learn from it and the only thing this government should focus on is how to grow the economy that we tinkering around the edges we worried about things like be and apartheid and you know and that that's not going to get anybody uh, out of poverty i can tell you that much well said okay let's move on to our last topic for today and this is uh Kerry the Center for Risk Analysis which you are an analyst at has put together a macro review of the various provinces um and some quite interesting stuff in this macro review uh one of them is about the dominance one of the facts that I got out of reading through the macro review is the dominance of the west of cape and karting uh in in basically the country's economy Uh yeah so um as you mentioned Gauteng and the Western Cape they they dominate the they dominate the country economically um to uh, together Gauteng and the Western Cape um have 40% of the the country's population 
but they contribute to 50% of the country's economy and about 60% of taxpayers reside in, in just those two provinces. And then the rest of the country um, and provinces such as KwaZulu-Natal and the Eastern Cape, they take more than they give. They, they um, take up a larger share of the, the population, but they, they don't pay a lot of tax and they also have some of the highest social grant uh, recipients. Um, but even though Gauteng and the Western Cape um, perform much better than their peers, um, they are not immune to uh, the, the state decay that we've seen um, throughout this country in terms of um, you know, uh, electricity, uh, railways, um, I mean, Gauteng now has water shedding because there's not enough electricity to, to um, pump water to, to, to its suburbs. And the, the Western Cape, even though it is known for its good track record in service delivery, um, the Western Cape is one of the most dangerous provinces in the country, in, in part because of... Um, gang violence, out of control gang violence, but also in part because the South African Police Service, which is a national government um, responsibility, um, has really been rendered toothless. Um, I think the problems surrounding the SAPS is quite um, well known uh, by now. Um, so, um, and we've talked about this before uh, on the show, um, the, the Western Cape and the city of Cape Town has really advocated for the devolution of the SAPs. Uh, so far, the government has been very, very reluctant um, to allow that, but um, the Western Cape has uh, gone on to create their own sort of security force, the uh, law advancement um, uh, 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 Sorry, let me just double check the Law Enforcement Advancement Plan um, Force, which LEAP is, is kind of LEAP, yes, which is kind of like a, a they kind of mirror some of the, the police functions and where they have been applied, they've actually seen um, some good progress in, in reducing crime levels. But but the, the, the point that I'm trying to make is, is that um, as, as state decay continues, we're going to see more and more provinces try and take matters into their own hands. Because right at the moment, the ANC has a very um, uh, once uh, um, a very centralized approach to everything. And that really prevents provinces from really directly um, dealing with their, their issues. Because they their 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 um ability to address their issues directly are limited um by, by the constitution but i still think that um as things continue to deteriorate provinces will you know find that they will kind of do a semi devolution uh, approach and they'll try and find loopholes to take matters into their own hands that's something we're going to see um in in the short term medium terms. So, Morris, um, as, as Kerry pointed out at the beginning here, 
you know, the Western Cape and Gauteng together uh, form this massive chunk of the country's economic base, well over half of its taxpayers, half of its economy. Uh, and then when you consider the fact that these two provinces are extremely likely to be controlled by the uh, opposition, probably led by the DA um, in 2024, uh, regardless of whether the ANC manages to maintain control at the national level, it does make one wonder what the political ramifications might be for the country. And there's also KwaZulu-Natal, which is the third biggest contributor, provincially speaking, uh, which is also um, maybe not going to go to the opposition, but the ANC is almost definitely going to be under 50% there uh, next year. So, yeah, I mean, it's quite possible that the three biggest uh, provinces, provinces in terms of uh, uh, economics, or biggest three biggest contributors to uh, South African, uh, provincially speaking, Will be controlled by the opposition next year and <laughs> yeah it's it's quite something it's a bit of a sea change and yeah we'll have big implications for south africa and i think harry's right we're definitely going to see more devolution especially if provinces like Gauteng and kwazulu natal are governed by the opposition but just on that point uh, south africa missed a trick in 1994 or you know during the transition but not being more federated more devolved but actually that said south africa missed the trick in 1910 when the union of south africa was first formed and then we already had a centralized state. We should already have been a federation then. I mean, South Africa is actually quite a diverse place, even just in terms of regions and so on. Uh, you know, that's before we get into in things like race and uh, language and all that. So, and it's also quite a big place. You know, if, uh, a federal system probably would have made more sense than the decentralized system that we do have. And when you do have a federalized uh, system, you can, uh, each uh, province can kind of be its own laboratory. It can try different things you don't necessarily need to do in the rest of the country. We see that sort of in the Western Cape already, where the Western Cape's uh, economic growth is uh, quite a bit higher than the average than, uh, rest of South Africa as a whole. We've all seen with the number of jobs being created in the Western Cape compared to the rest of the country. It's obviously governed by a party that's not the ANC and does things a little bit differently. And you can see the difference down in that province. And if we had more fe uh, um, federalized powers and the Western Cape could do a bit more, we could, that, that difference could be even starker. So yeah, it's, uh, uh, we're definitely entering a, a very interesting time in South Africa, and yeah, I think uh, three provinces could maybe be governed by the opposition next year, maybe even four. So it's definitely it's, yeah, it's, uh, may live in, in interesting times as the Chinese case goes. So just last thing we want to mention is uh, recently, I think it was yesterday, um, Raymond Ackman, the founder of Pick and Pay, passed away at the age of ninety-two died at home. Uh, and he was quite an influential South African. He was involved uh, as a CEO with the, the Checkers Group. Um, his family founded the, the company Ackermans, uh, which he sold to the Checkers Group. Um, but after a disagreement with the board of that company, he went on to buy four small shops in uh, Rondebosch and went on to turn that into a massive retail empire, which was pick and pay. And he was did all sorts of stuff. Uh, he provided lots of bursary money for his employees um, uh, to be able to educate their kids better. Uh, he hired the country's first black manager in his Rondebosch store in 1969 and even managed to get John Foster to, to turn a blind eye to it by personally sort of visiting him. Uh, he fought against monopolies and price controls, which the apartheid economy was filled with. And, uh, you know, he created this retail chain provided affordable goods for millions of South Africans. So a very influential person, someone who fought against race classification, 
he abolished race classification on his company's payroll, according to President Ramaphosa, who praised him, um, along with many other people uh, business in the business community and in the country's politics. So I think this is a sad loss for the country. Um, you know, these kind of people are the ones who I think contributed to making the good some of the good things in South Africa. And I only hope that there will be more Raymond Ackermans coming up uh, in our in our in our country today who can do similar things um, for us. All right, that's all for today. We hope that you have a wonderful weekend, and we'll see you next week on the Daily French Show. Cheers, everyone.